Good morning, Peachtree. What a joy, what a privilege it is for us to get to gather together, for me to get to be with you, even though it's virtually through your phone, computer, tablet, on the TV, in your home. Whatever the means is, is that we're gathering together. We're grateful that we get to do so. And I'm always amazed by your responsiveness and how, uh, did you know that roughly, uh, you know, about a quarter to a third of you any given week are from outside the state of Georgia? And so just a huge shout out to those of you who are coming from other states and a chance for us to create this spiritual unity and community that we have in the body of Christ, what we call the church. And so we're glad that you've set aside this time for us to reflect, to gather, to think, to pray. And today, I think you're going to really enjoy the activity and the exercise of what we're going to work on together. I want to begin with a a statistic. Um, We live in contentious times, and there was a survey that was done that said 9 out of 10, or 90% of people believe that we are living in a, a time of incivility. But what was interesting is that when they did a lot of follow-up on that, they talked about how maybe politics was to blame or maybe how you know leaders were to blame or all of these different things, media, television, talk radio, they listed all the different things. But you know what was interesting? 90% said that incivility was a significant problem, but less than 1% said that they engage in uncivil behavior. How is it that that gap could be so great that we could have such a great problem and yet, oh, I'm not the one that contributes to it? Socrates once famously quipped that the unexamined life is not worth living. Today, we're going to dive in to the ancient spiritual practice of self-examination. We're in the midst of a series of messages where we're talking about everyday holy and how there are certain activities that we can understand with a subtle shift and discover the holiness of God in the midst of them. And so we've talked about these different dimensions. We've talked about sacred people. We've talked about sacred places. We've talked about sacred rhythms. In other words, people, place, time. And today we're going to talk about self-examination or sacred reflection. And as we talk about that, I need to begin in a place where I'm telling you my recurring nightmare. My recurring nightmare for decades has been the same. And that is is that every once in a while, I will wake up in a cold sweat because I've been having that same terrible dream. And the dream is, is that I'm back in school and that I forgot to drop a class, and I can't tell if it's college or graduate school or or doctoral program, but I forgot to drop a class. And the professor comes to me and confronts me and says, you've been skipping class this whole semester. Tomorrow is your exam, your final, and you have to take it. And if you fail the exam, you're gonna fail the course. And of course, the rest of the dream is, you know, frantically trying to master a semester's worth of information all into one night. Oh, it's a terrible dream. I even hate talking about it because I don't want it to come up tonight. I don't know what it is about this dream. And I imagine, as I've talked to other people, that many people have different variations on a theme. I now have the pastoral version of this dream is that there's a sermon I'm supposed to preach and I'm not prepared for it. And I can't seem to get there to it. 
And I imagine that there's some sort of dream about a test, an exam, a, a hurdle, something that you're supposed to experience and, and that it's stressful to consider it. This is exam time, final exam time. Our daughters are studying for their end of year exams. And our end of year exams cause us to be a little more spiritual, a little more religious. I love this meme that I found on the internet this week. It says this, one day before the exam, I become the most religious person in, on earth. You know, people talk about prayer in school. As long as there are exams in school, there will be prayers in school. And no government or institution can ever stop those kinds of desperate pleas before Almighty God. Well, there are different kinds of tests, and those tests come to us for a reason. But the tests that I really want to focus in on today are the tests that are spiritual exams. And we get to see that with a variety of characters in the Bible. Let's first show this passage from the Apostle Paul. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Everyone, Paul says, ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. These are fairly straightforward and harsh words from the Apostle Paul. He is saying that he does not want them to come to the table, to come to communion, without communion being a trigger for them to examine their heart, examine their minds, examine their souls before God. The verb that repeats over and over again five times in the one, that one chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is this verb right here. In Greek, this is the verb by which we get the word synchronize. In other words, their lives, their community is all out of sync. God is trying to bring them together as a community and as individuals. And because they're out of alignment, because they are not together, God is saying, before you come to the table, which is a symbol of unity being brought together, before you do that, you need to think for a minute about whether God and you are out of sync. We see also this self-examination in the pleas and the prayers of King David. And so a long time before, a thousand years before the Apostle Paul, King David says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, there's that phrase again, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What's interesting about David's prayer here is that it's not what we expect in prayer so much, which is like, God, show me yourself. Show me your glory. Show me your character. That's an important prayer. But what David's prayer here is also important. David's prayer is, God, show me myself. And this is something that we're going to need to discover. I remember one time when I was going to a conference at Princeton Seminary with a group of pastors, and he wasn't a friend at the time, but he's become a friend. Peter Barnes was the one who was facilitating this group of pastors that was going to be at Princeton. And um, I was thinking that we were there to talk about leadership, to talk about denominational politics, to talk about strategy, those kinds of things. And I'll never forget how Peter started off the session. He started off with this. He said, you can only give as much as you know about yourself to as much as you know about God. Now, after later, I learned that uh, Peter had, had gotten this from John Calvin. 
And we just parked there for a long time, and I almost don't remember anything else about those couple of days because I needed to hear that important message. You can only give as much as you know about yourself to as much as you know about God. In other words, your awareness of God and your awareness of self are related to one another. They're connected to one another. You know, I mean, you could know God to be generous, but if you were stuck in your own stinginess, there's only so far that knowledge of God's generosity is going to take you. And the same thing might be true of like, you may, may know God to be gracious, but if you are unaware of your own sinfulness, then there's only so much of that knowledge of God's mercy that is going to get in and through to you. And so we have to grow not only in our awareness of God, we don't just read the Bible learning of God's character, even though that's important. We also have to do that in conjunction with our own self-examination. Now, one of the interesting things that happened for me is once this idea just kind of popped in my mind of how these things are related to one another, as you go back and you look at church history and tradition and some of the great giants of our faith, how prevalent they talked about this. Go all the way back, example, to St. Augustine, back to the fourth century, who said, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? And then he prays, grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know you. St. Teresa put it like this, almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. And so today, with the remainder of our time, what I want to do is I want to give you a couple of tools. I want to help you to do some exam prep work, some test prep work, with four ways of thinking about it. I want to talk about your feelings, your thoughts, your experiences, and your stories. So first, let's talk about your feelings. And whether you're sitting next to somebody else or not right now, I want you to ponder the question. And if you are with somebody, uh, kind of talk about this out loud. What do you think the difference is? What is the difference between an emotion and a feeling? Should to ponder that for a moment. What's the difference between an emotion and a feeling? An emotion is just an initial reaction to whatever it is that's happening around you. And a feeling is when you start to become aware or conscious of your emotions. So feelings are just the conscious awareness of emotions. They're not necessarily different from one another, but one is on your radar and the other one might not be on your radar. So you can always know when you're feeling joy, but you may be experiencing joy and, and not realize it. And the same thing be true with other emotions. Peter Cesaro, who's written a lot of work about kind of emotionally healthy spirituality, the emotionally healthy churches, borrows the analogy of the 90-10 rule from icebergs to, to kind of realize that 90% of icebergs lie beneath the surface and how that's true for you and me as well, particularly with regards to our emotions and our feelings. And so in order to get things to go from emotions to feelings, he suggests asking these four questions. 
What are you mad about? What are you sad about? What are you anxious about? And what are you glad about? And the reason about kind of teasing out these four questions is the hope of not just kind of, you know, gazing at yourself. And it's, it's about trying to create a higher level of understanding of what is really going on in the iceberg that is you and me. And so kind of the first tool I wanna to give you with regards to your self-examination is to help get beneath the surface and to look at your feelings and your emotions. And the second way is to think about your thoughts, to think about your thinking. I love the book that Ethan Cross has come out with in some recent research. Uh, it's called Chatter. And it's a whole book about kind of the voice in inside our head and how to harness it. Um, there's always this inner dialogue, this inner conversation that's happening in our minds, whether we're aware of it or not. And, and I've always worked under the assumption from what I learned in psychology that um, healthy people talk to themselves, that healthy people always know that that dialogue is going on and they participate in it. Um, and, and yet actually what Cross says is that, is that sometimes that inner dialogue is helpful. He highlights the difference between examination and rumination. You know, if you're engaging in that inner dialogue and it's a constructive dialogue, that's one thing. But if you're just ruminating, if you're just stuck in some old ruts and replaying conversations over and over and over again, conversations that aren't good and aren't healthy, then the self-talk really is not productive but counterproductive. And so we need to be aware not only of our feelings, we also need to be aware of our thoughts. And as many of you know, one of the great revelations of the last century is, is that you cannot change your feelings by trying to change your feelings. You can only change your feelings by changing your thoughts, by changing the way you think. And so there's feelings, there's thoughts, there's experiences, and that's what we need to talk about next. I wanna show you a picture of a cave. Now this cave has been upgraded throughout the centuries, but this cave goes all the way back to the 16th century, to the 1500s, where St. Ignatius of Loyola began the process of what he called the interior life and began to describe what it would might be like to engage in the spiritual practice of self-examination. And the way that he would ask the questions of people, of their experiences, like in reflecting on their day, what are your consolations and what are your desolations? And then this is kind of the ancient version of the more secular and regular practice today of something that we would do at our dinner table. We talk about what are your highs and what are your lows. But he goes on a step further to not just say, what are you experiencing? But then he asks a follow-up question. Did that desolation take you further away from God or closer to him? Did that consolation draw you closer to God or pull you further away from him? And so we have to recognize that our experiences, even our bad experiences, can actually bring us closer to God. And our good experience sometimes can take us further away from God. And so it's not enough to just talk about our experiences and sharing them with others. It's 
also good to be aware of whether or not those experiences are drawing us more and more into the presence of the living God. There's your feelings, there's your thoughts, there's your experiences. And then there is also your story, the stories that you tell yourself. There's a pastor up in the New York City area by the name of Rich Villadas. And Rich asks himself regularly, what story am I telling myself? And what does the gospel say about that? Let me see if I can give you an example of it. He says when he was about seven years old, his parents were in a knockdown, drag out fight where not only the shouting had reached a fever pitch, but they began to shove one another. They were in their bedroom and in the bedroom was a crib. And in that crib was Rich's younger sister who was only six month old. And so Rich runs into the room and grabs his young sister and holds her in his arms as she's screaming because of what's happening around her. And he puts himself in between his two parents to try to break up the fight. Eventually the fight subsided. And then later, Rich wrote this. No script was consciously handed to me, but the internalized message of I have to hold everything together was lodged in my heart and mind. This script has marked my life. It has informed my decisions at home, my leadership at church, and my self-understanding. I have often lived with a sense of being overly responsible, afraid of failure, and excessively anxious in conflict with the persistent feeling that I had to be a stable, unanxious person. No wonder I became a pastor. I have often given the impression that everything was going to be fine and have struggled to maintain limits. The story that Rich was telling himself over and over again, I have to hold it all together, I have to hold everything together, was dominating his life. Imagine how his life changed, as he said, when he encountered this scripture from Colossians that talks about how Christ is the one who holds all things together. That he doesn't have to hold it all together. That that's what Jesus does. What stories are you telling yourself? What does the gospel say about those stories? I don't know if it's a true story or not. It could be one of those urban legends, but there's a story of a professor who told his group of students, hey, you can bring anything to the exam that you can fit on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And so most people, they took out a very fine pencil and wrote as many notes as they could, both on the front and the back of that sheet of paper. That's not what one student did. One student left that piece of paper blank, but he brought that piece of paper and he put that piece of paper down at the very front of him on the front row of the exam. And right before the exam, a PhD student in that subject came in and stood on that sheet of paper. The professor thought that this was so creative that he 
let the PhD student stay for the exam and help him. And every time the student needed some help, he would look up to the PhD student and he would ask him a question and the PhD student would whisper the answer into the student's ears. The reason I tell you that story is that, yes, you and I will face tests. Yes, you and I will need to examine ourselves in this life. But we don't have to do it alone. It's not only an open book exam in terms of the Bible gives us so many of the answers that we need. It's also an open exam in the sense of that we have the gift of prayer. And that the Holy Spirit is with you and me as we engage in this ancient practice of sacred reflection, of self-examination. And so as we close out today's message, I want to put these four things back up on the screen. Are there some feelings that you need to feel? Something beneath the surface, an emotion that you need to be aware of? Do you need to pause to talk about your thoughts and the way that you are thinking in that inner dialogue? How about your experiences, whether it's a desolation or a consolation, a high or a low? And are those experiences taking you closer to God or further away from him? And what is that story that you're telling yourself? What does the gospel say about that story? You can only give as much as you know about yourself to as much as you know about God. God awareness and self-awareness are related to one another. Maybe like the Corinthians, maybe like the life of David, your life is out of sync. And maybe the prayer that you need to pray today is, Lord, show me myself. And before you come to communion today, we need to make sure that before we eat and we drink, we see how out of sync our lives are. It's not a nightmare, it's a dream. The ability to test and examine our lives before Almighty God, the great judge, because we know that this judge is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And so let's pray. Thank you, God, for this ancient, centuries upon centuries old practice of examining our lives. Lord, I confess that so often I'm moving so quickly and running from one thing to another and that I'm so busy that I don't stop to examine myself. There's all different kinds of tests, God. Everything from driving tests to tests in school to tests of knowledge that we face all the time. Help us to pause now in this moment to have a spiritual exam, a spiritual test. Help us to not be like those Corinthians who were out of sync and were coming to the table without even giving it a second thought. May we not treat your table with the flippancy of getting a soda out of a soda machine. Instead, help us to understand the sacredness 
of what it means to bring our whole lives before a holy God. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name and amen.